Hello, and welcome to another episode of Such a Nightmare, Conversations About Horror. My name is Catherine Troyer, and I am so delighted, as always, to be joined by Anthony Tresca. Hey there! This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is, for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited to have you join us for our episode over 2003's Freddy vs. Jason. This is kind of sad because we're so very close to finishing our our exploration of the Nightmare on Elm Street films. We have this one and then the remake. I know. It'll be done. It feels like we've been talking about nightmares forever, and we have been. It's been like a, a, a year of nightmares, essentially. And uh, it's, it is interesting. It's a weird feeling to know the nightmare is almost coming to an end. <laughs> <laughs> and And it's weird because... It's not a franchise where <laughs> there is a clear end, right? <laughs> because they're just like, but wait, we can still have, people still have nightmares, so we can still have films. And and Freddy vs. Jason is an interesting place to go next, particularly after Wes Craven's new nightmare. I think that is uh, very astute, because this film feels like the exact opposite of New Nightmare in that New Nightmare feels like a a director who has a very clear and specific vision about the story that they want to tell to the audience about the filmmaking processes and what their nightmares are. Whereas this film feels like a film devised for horror audiences rather than coming from a specific pl- story that the director or writers wanted to tell. It feels like more of just an excuse to, like, throw some characters together, have some nudity, have some kills, and it'll be a romp. Yeah, it it most certainly does. And I think the, the scene that best exemplifies that is one of the scenes that happens right at the beginning of the uh-huh, film, uh-huh. you know, where we have to have the the boob shot right and not only do we have to have the boob shot but they had a piece of costuming that they had to strategically make sure could even when buttoned still show one of her breasts while she was running through the woods oh you know, but like, of course that <laughs> and that just takes an incredible amount of uh careful costuming and you know that someone like cl- actually had to like make that that was their goal, right? That that was their assigned goal was make sure that even when she's wearing this long sleeve button up shirt, you can still see at least one, if not both, boobs. Um, Listen, and that's Roger England said that the <laughs> Ronnie Yu, the director of this film, did have an eye for detail. So I'm gonna. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so funny. Um, I do have to say, and I'm, I'm sure that you and I are going to disagree on this a little bit, but I like this film. I don't think it's great by any stretch of the uh-huh. imagination, but it's fun. And it's fun in a way that, that I think a lot of our more recent 
horror slasher films are trying to do while they're also trying to have a really deep mm-hmm. message, right? Like, so if we go to Halloween Kills, you know, on the one hand, Halloween Kills was trying to just have this, like, remember the fun of watching all these people get slaughtered, but they were like, but also, let's have a social commentary about mob mentality. Right, right. <laughs> and, and you can't, like, do both. Whereas Freddy versus Jason was like, boobs mm-hmm. and right. blood. We promise you those two things... And we also promise you that you will get to see two of your favorite people and you will get to root for them both because let's face it, no one's ever really rooting for the teenagers. No. Uh, and, and so you get to root more explicitly, right? So I feel like in that way, Freddy versus Jason is a very honest film. It's like, who cares about anyone but the, the slasher villains that you are the rooting for anyway, so let's just make it even more explicit. And I was... Uh, this is not my first time watching this film. This won't be my last time watching this film. I am I am always down for that ride because it just is fun in a way that that sometimes I want horror to be. I, I'm I'm okay to have horror be intellectual and scathing and and disaffirmative, mm-hmm. but sometimes I just want to watch people get chopped up into really interesting pieces. Yeah, I before I bring in. Um, my reaction to the film. I think it, this might be an interesting time to weave in the scholarship that you brought for this episode because I think it might yeah. give uh, the audience a little bit of a cue into what the the making of this film, the headspace that this came out of, which uh, I think is an important piece of information to have uh, before the rest of the conversation. Yeah, so, so this is so wild to me. If you've been listening to our, our Nightmare on Elm Street mm-hmm. episode, you know that there's a lot of scholarship on the first film, understandably. Um, and there will be, we haven't gotten to it yet, but there will be some scholarship on the uh-huh. remake, in part because it's talking about issues of adaptation, right? That's really what a lot of those articles are looking at. But there's been a real absence of scholarship on on any of the other films, excluding for number two, but it's but for number two, it's really a lot less about the film and it's mm-hmm. a lot more about its role within the the queer society, yeah. right? So honestly, I was like, I almost didn't even Google scholar search. I was just like, no, there's not going to be <laughs> anything on Freddy versus. I mean, Jason. that's what Why I would there. I be? was shocked when you told me someone wrote their entire dissertation about Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, because I, I, I did. I truly said to you. I did not think that there was enough to talk about for a full dissertation, but I was wrong. Oh, I was wrong. <laughs> yeah, so very wrong. So so first, there are a couple of articles, and what's actually interesting is that some of them are on the, the soundtracks, actually. So there's one on what's the deal with soundtrack albums, metal music, and the customized aesthetics of contemporary mm-hmm. horror, which is specifically looking at the Freddy vs. Jason and the yeah. music. There's another one that's called Rock and Roll and Horror Stories, students, teachers, and popular culture. And that one's, I think, a little bit more on Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. But, but you know, there's... So stuff comes up, but you were so right. There is an entire doctoral dissertation of hundreds of pages, hundreds of pages, that does not just talk about Freddy versus Jason as one of their texts. It is their entire text. So this is just fantastic to me. I would love to meet this person because I feel the Venn diagram of people who I would like to have a conversation with and people who have written an entire dissertation about Freddy vs. Jason is a circle. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't this wild? So this person whose last name I'm going to absolutely slaughter, their first name is Jason and their last name is Rapelje. It's spelled R-A-P-E-L-J-E. Uh, wrote this dissertation for Western Michigan University, and it is called Fabricating Freddy versus Jason. Understanding a motion picture as a social encounter between fans and filmmakers. And so I think you're absolutely right, Anthony, that like this is a good place to kind of have some of the conversations because what Rapelji, which admittedly I have not read his whole dissertation, but what he's looking at is is the ways in which this film is is has been constructed mm-hmm. and continues to be constructed as a sort of living document. So I thought I would just read to you the abstract, right? So the what he says that he's doing and then just come to some of the specific examples that mm-hmm. he provides. So this is his abstract. The break in the mass communicative chain which separates producers and receivers from one another in both time and space impedes researchers from studying motion pictures as social encounters. As with face-to-face encounters, producers and receivers of motion pictures depend upon the use of rules of relevance and typifactory schemes for their encounters to take place. I examine the social encounter that takes place between some of the filmmakers and fans of Freddy vs. Jason through the use of these concepts as well as a revision of John Thompson's uh, methodological framework of, of depth hermeneutics. <laughs> so he's going deep. The four steps of my methodological framework follow. So he begins by giving a textual analysis. And then he offers a template analysis to show um, a sample of statements made by 19 filmmakers on the special feature sections of the film's DVD <laughs> to identify the aspects of Freddy versus Jason that the filmmakers felt obligated to attend. Then he does an analysis of the sample of statements made by 11 fans on an internet message forum to identify those aspects of Freddy versus Jason that they expected the filmmakers to attend. And then he compares the statements to see if the perspectives on aspects of the film were consistent or if the filmmakers broke frame by expressing a perspective not in line with the fans' expectations. And then ultimately... He found that the 19 filmmakers and 11 fans discussed five aspects in common. And more often than not, the 19 filmmakers broke frame by expressing perspectives that were not in line with the 11 fans' expectations. And because of these findings, he argues that the film was not a successful interaction between these particular filmmakers and fans. But he nevertheless sees this picture and just like film as a, as a fabricated encounter. So super yeah. <laughs> fascinating it so what always strikes me when hearing this is i know that this is very like i'm this is very grounded and research based but it always the research process always sounds so close to conspiracy theorist findings um (laughs) that i'm like i I, I had to like take a second to be like no 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 this is serious i'm like because it is it is and it's so deeply interesting talking about that process of what the expectation is based off of the larger cultural ideas and fan understanding of these characters versus versus the realities of making a film and these filmmakers' perspectives and then the interplay at hand. That is so interesting, but also it does sound like a conspiracy theory. (laughs) You're right. The other thing that I keep thinking about is that anytime a student is like, I don't know if I can write a three-page paper on this one film, 
that I just want to be like hundreds of pages <laughs> on Freddy versus Jason. I think you can probably write two pages on Citizen Kane. You know, like yeah, um, I, I think I just have to applaud like this author's like pure dedication. Like, thank you for unpacking this. Yes. So that I don't have to Seriously. do this. Because, and uh, I'm sure that I am sure. That uh, based on having had done research myself, that this caused you much pain, researcher. Oh, but I, I appreciate sad. your pain. And I want to applaud the... So when you write a dissertation, you have a dissertation committee that's comprised of faculty at your university that are willing to, to read your dissertation to provide feedback. And to varying degrees, they need to be scholars that are connected enough to what you're doing that that they can contribute uh, as you know experts in the field and i just want to say like i'm so proud of these people for being like we'll let you do this because i had to fight to just do horror more broadly and i just feel like the boldness of saying i'm gonna look at this one horror film very explicitly just delights me so one of the things that uh i'm going to slaughter his last name again repelji talks about at the very beginning, actually, is this idea that horror texts are sort of alive. So he's referencing another scholar whose name is Ken Gelder. And he says that Ken Gelder talks about the power of horror texts as though they were living, breathing entities performing or doing things of their own. And the quote that he uses from Gelder is that horror films make available to their audiences the rhetorics of horror, which provide, and then this is the quote from Gelder, ways of defining what is evil and what is good in societies, what is monstrous and what is normal, mm -hmm. what should be seen and what should remain hidden, and so on. So what I like about Repelji's argument is that he's saying that there's kind of something, maybe not explicitly unique to horrors and exclusive, but definitely an element of horror, and that is is that it's they are already living, breathing documents, mm -hmm. right? Because we are constantly imbuing them with meaning, but also they are telling us how to imbue the world with meaning. And so there is this already performative nature to horror. And then he gets into to Freddy versus Jason, and he talks about the fact that there are a number of ways in which the filmmakers both paid attention to fans and then, of course, uh, as he argues, you know, broke frame. And for the paying attention, I thought it was really interesting. So he says that uh, there were some early test screenings where the fans outright booed certain scenes that ended up getting cut because they thought they were too hokey or... He actually, uh, you was not planning on having quite so much nudity, but the fans were like, more nudity. And he was like, the really? The fans demanded okay, it. Wow. Then. <laughs> yeah, we, we can put it back in. So he put it back in. Uh, and then, so there's the actual, like, some changes that they mm -hmm. made. Uh, there's some arguments that New Line Cinema took as long as it did to make Freddy vs. Jason because they were trying to make sure to get it right for the fans. Because what an incredible risk to take. Because you're not only having to appease the Nightmare fans, you're also having to appease the Friday the 13th fans. And I'm not sure, you know, if we create our, our nerdy uh -huh. Venn diagram, I don't know how big that circle is yeah, in the middle. I, so that is one of the, like interesting things about the making of this film is you're taking a nightmare which is not in is is kind of like it's more disaffirmative largely than it is affirmative although depending on which film entry in the franchise that really depends but friday the 13th is pretty explicitly affirmative horror and so you're kind of meshing with types of horror and types of horror fans whom you have to appease and i think 
my reaction is spoiler a little bit to uh, to I mean I guess it's not a spoiler you know I was gonna tell you my reaction to the film but um, I is that I kind of felt that tension in horror and as a and it never really came together in either way I don't think either it being a satisfying affirmative horror or a satisfying disaffirmative horror a satisfying entry in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise or a satisfying entry in the Nightmare franchise. For those reasons, I think I think that's a a very astute claim, and I a hundred percent agree. Which is why I think I have to treat it as its own franchise in order to to appreciate it. And I think that's why we have to talk about it as this unique social uh, into encounter between different fan groups and the filmmakers, and which is why this this dissertation topic is so perfect for our conversation today. But yeah, so they looked at, they both talked to uh, like a hardcore horror audience group as well as a test audience. And there were things that that they didn't like. So the test audience didn't like this particular line, which was ultimately removed from the film. Uh, that was like a line about place your bets. And so he said that he, he kind of liked that line, but he didn't care. He also stated that he, quote, had to put in more nudity. And then he acknowledged, as a filmmaker, you always try to fight, but the movie is for the audience. And there were things that he said that he was actually glad that the test audience reinforced because both the test audience and the more hardcore fans really didn't feel like they liked the original ending or as it was originally envisioned. And I I haven't found in here entirely where that is because, again... This is a really long dissertation, but anyone that's excited about this, it is available online so you can read the whole thing. But New Line Cinema explicitly articulated this idea that they wanted to make sure that the fans were aptly represented Mm -hmm. and that their voices would be Mm -hmm. heard. And you can hear you, I mean, you said the movie is for the fans, which is a really bold statement that I'm pretty sure most of our modern horror filmmakers do not agree with. But then they had to figure out what does that mean? Because not only are they having to like make adjustments and tweaks based on fan audiences, but they're also having to do these recalls, uh-huh. right? And this is getting to your point of we need to, as a hardcore Nightmare fan or a hardcore Freddy, no, <laughs> so hard, a hardcore Nightmare fan or a hardcore Friday fan, we need to have those references that make us feel like this is a part of our respective franchises, right? So we need to have, you know, if at one point Freddy doesn't call someone a bitch, right? (laughs) The text has failed us in many respects because we expect that, 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 right? That is actually, if you can believe it, the only criteria for a nightmare film. (laughs) It is. It 100% is. You don't have to have anything else. Uh, But we also need to have, you know, some, some really goofy dreamlike sequences mm-hmm. right things like that um you know and and for friday we need to have we we really have to have the person in the woods naked right we have to have the running through the the woods scene we need to have some incredibly unrealistic slash implausible uh-huh. ways in which a machete is used yes. right like these are things that we just have to have like being thrown through fire uh yes which what a lovely scene that is true <laughs> that the special effects, those practical effects in the fire sequence in the corn maze in Freddy oh, vs. Jason, yeah. mm, worth worth 
watching the entire film just for that sequence. It is quite impressive. You could, because it's all, that is one of the few scenes that's you can tell is all practical. Yeah. And I think so, so again, we go back to, to your point, though, that I don't know if you can, if you're making a film for the audiences, uh-huh. I don't know it's possible to make a film when, again, I go back to, I'm not sure how big that Venn diagram part is of fans that are both Freddy and Jason fans, because, like, my partner is, and, and likes Freddy and Jason fairly equally, but I feel like there's such different aesthetics, as you pointed uh-huh. out. There's such different ways of understanding the world through this lens of affirmative versus disaffirmative that I don't know... I feel like it's a really small group of people that are going to like them equally because you're going to want one to win, right? Like the point is, is you're rooting for one or the other, but you can't, how do you build a a container for that, that story that will appeal to both audiences fully? I think, unfortunately, what the filmmakers chose to do is largely kind of skirt the question of that and they made and they just kind of like relegated the nightmare and freddy stuff to the b plot in the film and the jason stuff to the c plot and they were just like we'll do the freddy stuff during these times and the jason stuff during these scenes but a majority of the film will be spent with the a plot which is following these new characters that are introduced specifically for this film of like of Laurie Campbell and Will Rollins and their misadventures throughout uh, first obviously Elm Street and then when they have to come back to Crystal Lake, which I thought was a interesting choice because in particular that storyline, I, I thought it was weird that they emphasized so much stuff on the past, but it was the first time these characters were introduced, and it's interesting because that all of the stuff that they were talking about. There is very requires kind of a lot of in-depth knowledge of the Nightmare on Elm Street universe and everything that has happened in the Elm Street thing for it yes. to make sense. And same with with the Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah, because if you don't understand who Pamela Voorhees is, As, yes, right, you're missing. Or if you don't understand the significance, I mean, there's references to him drowning, but if you don't understand any of that lore, uh-huh. right. It's really hard to follow. So I was watching this movie with my partner who has seen some of the Nightmare movies and none of the Friday the 13th movies. And Mm -hmm. they were so confused by this whole thing. And they were confused because they obviously, I mean, the initial, the initial opening scene does a lot of wacky exposition that require that, that is like the, if you, it is so confusing. It starts on a very confusing and bewildering note where it's like, Freddy is taught, is forgot, he slipped into the forgotten dreamland and so has to go to hell to raise Jason because Jason can't die. So Jason will come to Elm Street and revitalize the collective town's terror in Freddy so he can come back in the nightmares again. And that's just the first scene. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's also strange, right? Because when you have a character who becomes the, the voiceover narrator, uh-huh. right? It suggests that they're going to be the main character. Yes. Which is, and that is, that's the role that, that Freddy embodies in that opening scene. Yes. And of course, in the filmmaker's defense, 
because I joked about this while watching it this time. Uh, I actually would have been delighted to have seen then a follow-up opening sequence that was Jason narrating, but since Jason doesn't talk, it was just silence for two minutes. Uh, because, again, the disadvantage to having Jason is, is that he doesn't talk. So if we're going to have a narrator and it's not going to be a human, it has to be Freddy. But it creates a really odd and, like you said, sort of discombobulating effect. Yes. And I think part of that is because looking at, going back to Repelji, looking at what the hardcore fans expected for Freddy versus what the hardcore fans expected for Jason shows the tension, right, that we're talking about. So he says that the hardcore fans expected Freddy to return to the darker persona that he exhibited in the first Nightmare film. And so one fan posted that they expected this to be the darkest film in a while for both franchises. Freddy is going to get his quips in because he's Freddy, but he's going to be his most evil. And they said, you know, that's hard because how do you come back from Freddy killing someone with, with a Nintendo power glove? Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, and, and Robert England apparently said that he admitted that he and uh, Rachel Talele pushed Freddy's comical personality a little too far so that he became a little stand-up comedian. So the producers for Freddy vs. Jason were hoping to go back to the darker Freddy. And both the fans and the filmmakers in this respect seemed to be in agreement mm-hmm. So we have that, right? And we can certainly see that. I mean, he's much darker in that opening monologue, but that's part of the reason I think it is so discombobulating is that it is a different Freddy than we've seen for the last several And films. it's a different Freddy, certainly a different Freddy from the previous Nightmare film. Because uh, they, they ignore, I guess, the West Craven one altogether and yeah. place this in the timeline of Freddy's... Freddy's dead has just happened. So I guess maybe the argument could be uh, him dying has like forced him to undergo a character development, but it's been character de-development. And he's like now back to that evil. So yes. I, I see where it's, the idea is could potentially be coming from there. And for Jason, so apparently the hardcore fans expected the producers to take some, some liberties with Jason, particularly in terms of his look. Mm-hmm. Kane Hodder had played uh, Jason in some of the previous films and actually is quoted as saying, uh, I guess they wanted to go with a puny, smaller Jason this time because, you know, they they did. They changed things up. They added the gross little wisps of hair. (laughs) And then, but one of the big things, one of the big disconnects is that although Jason has always been featured with a disfigured face and head, there... The, you made it much more explicit that Jason's history meant that he was, and this is he, this is from you, a little bit disabled, and I don't think he even knows what is right and wrong. And elsewhere he says that he was born with a disability, and this rage in him leads him to on a one-track mind to kill people. Mm-hmm. So one of the big departures is that they made Jason uh, mentally ill or mentally disabled, and that disability is part of the reason that he kills the way he does which which then does create a really weird affect for me in this film because uh, because it's hard to, to not want jason to win when he's clearly just a broken little boy yeah right who's being who is also being tortured by freddy yeah <laughs> right right so it's hard to not want uh jason to win in re- some respects it is very fitting for freddy who, who constantly is hurting children even if they're older children to pick on jason mm-hmm. right but like it creates this weird there's just so many weird things being set up and it's unclear who they want us to root for 
but it also feels like they've made it so that we have to root in certain ways, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think this is a uh, similar to yet another Halloween Kills comparison that I can make is that each scene in this film seemed to kind of like have different answers to that question too. So like when we're in a Freddy scene, sometimes there it's clearly a different affect and goal than when we're in a predominantly Jason scene. And there's not yes. a lot of effort to like blend those two aesthetics or bring them together no. so much as it is, okay, so now it's time that we replicate and recreate this particular beat from a nightmare film. And then once we move to this other scene, then it's time to recreate this beat from a Friday the 13th film. And then we'll go to the teenage characters for a while. In fact, that is such a good point because you can actually see they've chosen different lighting schemes. Yes. Right? Yes. So that we have a red color when it's Friday stuff for a good chunk. It doesn't, it's not always consistent towards the end, but for a good chunk of the film, if there, if it's red lighting, it's Freddy. If it's blue lighting, it's Jason. And then if it's, you know, something else in between, or if it's just quote n- normal colors, then it's the teenagers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've coded it, right? They've, they've clearly separated these visually, which is an interesting decision. Right. Because like you said, it kind of creates this stitched together monster that Uh that is not entirely one or the other. I think this is and that look of the film, this also has a radically different look than either than the Nightmare movies or the Friday the 13th movies have ever looked like. This is the most CGI slick and polished version of these characters that I had ever seen. And I personally kind of found it a little bit jarring to see these these characters who are from... I mean, honestly, these are kind of messy franchises. They have historically <laughs> looked like in their look. And that's part of the appeal yeah. is particularly in the Nightmare franchise that it's so much going on that it's a little bit messy. Yeah. And it's a little bit over the top, but that's what kind of makes it work. But in this, they kind of like really stripped it away and it's very polished and very slick and glossy looking. But a lot of that like internal messiness and fun is is lost at that at the expense of that. And there is a way in which I think, again, to go back to what what I think is the hardest thing about this film, Mm -hmm. there's a way in which what you just said matches the sort of conflicted messaging of of who this film was for because on the one hand you actually said in an interview which was apparently very traumatizing to the hardcore fans yeah he said we want to make a film for the masses not really the hardcore fans who might remember some detail from a sequel 10 years ago then of course the hardcore fans were like gasp what <laughs> um <laughs> but but at the same time, some of them were like, that's okay, because we don't want to think about all the films in the franchise, because, you know, not everyone <laughs> believes that every film in the franchise counts anyway. Yeah. So some people were okay with that. Some people really weren't. Some people said they were they were okay with the idea of the histories being in- intertwined, but we couldn't forget about the past films. Others said that if we intertwine the histories, it's going to damage both characters. But what's interesting is that we go back to what you said about when when you watch this with your partner, that they were so lost and confused because at the same time that they're saying this isn't far the, for the hardcore fans, I don't know who else will understand what's happening. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Because, I mean, 
Uh, my partner did end up falling asleep during this because at a certain point they just <laughs> gave up on trying to understand because they were just like having to ask so many questions. They were like, so wait, what is happening here? Who is that older woman? What, what is he, what, what's this thing with like the water drip? Actually, actually they didn't get to the water stuff. They were asleep by that point, but <laughs> it was just so, they were just so confused because it is, a, and it is confusing. And I don't think that they, filmmakers gave the audience any help through like, and I think they could have through a viewpoint character who was experiencing both of these worlds for the first time. But by setting the plot of the A, the A plot with, uh, Laurie Campbell and Will Rollins being so much affected by their past that the audience no one has ever seen before. Uh, it really doesn't give audience that viewpoint character to be like, okay, well, they're experiencing for the first time too, so of course they're confused. Instead, it's like, no, you should understand what's going on because everybody does. This has happened so many times. This is, you should, everybody knows this. When you take the, all of that and you also take the fact that that the film tries really hard and I think simultaneously fails and succeeds in making it unclear who who we should be rooting for. So on the one hand, yeah. the film really makes it clear that Freddy is, he's literally the storyteller. He's the one beginning the story and he's the one that, that gets the final laugh in, right, yeah. and the wink. But on the other hand, it's hard not to root for Jason with this new interpretation of him as being, you know, disabled and truly picked on mm -hmm. so that it's never been his fault. And he's like yet another victim of Freddy. It's hard not to be like, oh, well, I kind of want you to to let Freddy get his comeuppance at sometimes. But it's so it's a really weird film in that. Respect. And, I, and they also give Freddy quite a bit more screen time than they do Jason. One of the things uh, that my partner and I were talking about before they fell asleep was they were like, where is Jason? They're like, I, I feel like we have, it has been so many scenes where we're either just with Freddy or we're with the kids. And they're like, and Jason will just kind of show up every now and then until the third act when we move abruptly to Camp Crystal Lake. And then it right. becomes a, and then in that third act, it becomes more of that blend. But for a majority of the film, I think it was a frustrating experience for me because I had never seen I this is my first time was my first time watching the film it really was not what I expected coming in as like a as like a horror fan I was really expecting the a plot the main focus of this to be that conflict between Freddy versus Jason but until the like the very end of the film that is just not the case they yeah. they don't really even cross paths until the very end and they have two big fight scenes together which kind of feels like if you were making a film for the fans or for the masses that you would feel more pressure to deliver on that central premise that you brought people in on the title i think is the problem right because really it's not freddy versus jason yeah in terms of freddy versus jason in a battle royale not until the end what it really is is if you're a group of teens Who's going to take you out, Freddy or Jason, uh, or both? And and so you're right that by adding, which they had to, they had to add the teens mm -hmm. to. You can't you can't have a, either of these slasher franchises without the teen pack. But but it it did mean that we're focusing a lot on them, and like you said, it, we're going from the A plot to the B plot to the C plot. There are some nice additional like nods to other horror franchises uh -huh. in here that it, I think both again when we're thinking about like which audience is this for 
you know, I can't help but feel like like you was not entirely correct that it's not really for the hardcore fans, it's for the masses, because they were sometimes more than Easter eggs. They were actually things that if you didn't understand where this was probably being a reference to, you couldn't entirely understand why where it came from. So there were little things like Lori, right? Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, and at the very beginning, she asks where Michael is, the, the woman who's in the right. lake. So, you know, we have some little nods. But I would also argue that the really weird and, and sort of intrusive element about Lori's, you know, like middle school boyfriend uh, seeing her dad kill her mom reminds me of of Scream, right? Uh Like it's kind of a throwback to Scream and the like, did the dad do it or is the dad innocent? The red herring. And the exact Yeah, the red herring, exactly. Red herring from Scream. Exactly. But it in Scream it's been built in a little bit more explicitly. Whereas in this film it kind of feels unclear where that's coming from, right? Because that's not a part of either the the Freddy world or the Jason world in terms of parents and things like that. So there's this weird way in which there are these things that are built into the very narrative that rely on you understanding horror films more broadly, slasher films more specifically. But I still love it. I still love this film. (laughs) And and I still love it because, because I'm willing to say that it's not really a Freddy film. It's not really a Jason film. It's this weird, like, fan service. But in this case, the fans were the producers Uh and the filmmakers who were like, we have the money. We have the rights. Can we please make the film of our dreams? It was so unabashedly fun. In fact, my only real complaint with this is, is the lack of practical effects in the cockroach sequence where we have the horrible CGI where he's, you know, high and he's thinking that it's Freddy and uh-huh. Freddy's, you know, like, I mean, yes, there's some inappropriate language that Freddy uses considering uh-huh. that it's the 2000s. There is definitely some things that don't make sense to either franchise happening. Yeah. Right. Like there are definitely things that don't make sense, but also it's just so much fun. I think I personally <laughs> had a bit of a different reaction to this film. I enjoyed watching the product of this film basically kind of understanding it as just a product of the specific cultural moment and the audience and appreciating the audience building that occurred between the two franchises but on a more personal level to let my biases come out i am much more of a nightmare fan than i am a friday the 13th fan and as a nightmare fan i did feel a little bit disappointed by the freddy that was kind of portrayed in this And the use of his nightmare powers, or like, I guess, lack of use of the nightmare powers in this one was, I mean, as a nightmare fan, I gotta say, I was a bit disappointed in that, particularly in a lot of the switch from using Freddy being mostly the scares coming from a practical source to coming mostly from like a CGI source. And then we've also reverted back to a lot of to the nightmare kills don't come from any of the specific fears of the teenagers anymore. And now we're just kind of back to, oh, dreams are spooky and you die in the dreams, which is resetting back to several films of Nightmare Ago that I thought we had gotten over again, but after the Wes Craven new Nightmare film. But I guess since this film doesn't acknowledge the Wes Craven new Nightmare film, it makes sense why why we would not be returning to that 
to the use of nightmares as revealing specific fears within our characters and within the larger society and system. Yeah, to be perfectly honest, if we were going to have fears that matched the, the whatever, right, then Lori's boyfriend should have had a nightmare that was about being institutionalized. Yeah. And and, and the friend that whose brother had killed himself, we got that, right? That was one of the better scenes of the whole it was. movie. It was actually one of the, the more frightening scenes, right? That idea of, like, turning around and seeing, uh, you know, your, your sibling having committed suicide. But, like, Lori should have seen her mom, you know, all bloody and stabbed instead of this, like, thing where the only time she really sees it is when she's realizing that, uh, you know, actually her dad was killing Freddie. So I very much agree with you that that's been my favorite part is matching and tailoring the the nightmares to the characters and and nightmare the nightmare franchise has been kind of inconsistent about whether it's doing it, but you and I have always liked it best when it does it. And then another element as a that I was frustrated that was lacking was one of my favorite parts about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is that is a lot of the aesthetical choices that are brought to it and the specificity of the nightmare world and the absurdist elements that are at play within this franchise that I think in trying to appeal to a mainstream audience were forced to be toned down to be more commercialized and easily digestible which is just frustrating as a fan even if I understand creatively why they made that choice, particularly when you're pairing it with a much more grounded and realistic figure as Jason. And I think they even acknowledge kind of that tension between the more absurdist horror and the realistic horror when they're talking about like, we don't need to be afraid of the nightmares. We got to be afraid of what's happening in the real world here. And I think that's an interesting conversation. And that was the most interesting that was one of the more interesting elements where you're like, oh, which the characters get to have that conversation about which one it should you be more afraid of, which one is more scary. But that wasn't what a majority of the film was. And so I think as a Nightmare fan, I was left a little bit disappointed. As just a fan of this concept of like the Freddy vs. Jason, I, I was like intrigued in that. I didn't think that it really achieved that very much. I think actually the weirdest thing that I walked away with is I felt more excited by the Friday the 13th elements in this film than I did about anything else. I was like, oh, actually, I kind of like the Jason stuff in this. And that was one of the first times I had, because I liked the kind of stuff that they did with him as uh, his mental illness and those elements that they introduced here. I thought it did make his character quite a bit more interesting. And a, a lot of his kills really did work in this film. You said several very fascinating things. I, I think one of them is that that there are these nuggets, right, that like show you the potential promise or or magic that could be in this film. Because you're right that 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 conversation of like who do we fear, the people that are haunting us in the day or the people that are haunting us in the night is really interesting. Mm -hmm. The idea that they have killed Freddy off, right, that the town has managed to and they've done it so far that they've actually institutionalized kids that they were worried about. Super that was really interesting. <laughs> and, and like, I also enjoyed the scenes where particularly in the cornfield where, you know, the, the one girl was drunk uh -huh. and so she was in Freddie's world, but then Jason killed her and pulled her out. Right. And got the kill. Like there were some really interesting ways to play with it. Yes. But what I thought was really interesting about what you said that I would love to know, I would love to do, be able to do my own study is, is that I wonder if 
your experience is the experience of most fans and that whichever fan base they are coming from, they liked probably the one that they were less familiar with because it seemed less at odds with Mm. the series and with the narrative so that what it actually is doing is instead of you watching the film as a Jason fan and being like, yes, Jason, or watching it in in your, in my cases as Freddie fans and being like, yay, Freddie, that we actually, you, you are rooting for Uh the one that you are not usually the franchise fan of Uh because it is the one that you're least sad or upset that they've made so many changes. I don't have that same level of investment. And, and you're right. I, there were moments that I was like, I'm kind of rooting for Jason. Yeah. In a way that I did not anticipate. And and this is the first time I've watched the film after having seen all the, the nightmares. And I'm going to say that you and I should have to watch this film again when we're working our way through the Friday the 13th franchise and have to have another episode to see if our, like, how our feelings have changed now that we're completely aware of the lore i think that would be really interesting i think that would be super fascinating and also i guess that tease in our listeners to we are gonna yeah. embark eventually on the friday someday. the 13th franchise <laughs> uh someday uh, someday uh, there's always a new horror frontier to <laughs> conquer to explore da, da, da. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to us talk about Freddy versus Jason. I guess uh, as Repelji knew, there was much to talk about because this we managed to have more than enough to say. And ultimately, yeah. I maintain it's a lot of fun. I think Anthony too, uh, to to date you a little bit, you really like you weren't there for the two thousand two thousand horror movement uh, in a way that I was, and not even as much as some people, but. It, the 2000s horror is such its own genre, and this is definitely fitting really neatly in there in the same way that, like, Urban Legends fits in here and, and a lot of other things. Uh-huh. So I have a feeling that 2000 horror is not probably going to be your cup of tea, just kind of because it's it's all sort of slickified. Um, it's all about as uh, social commentary less as it can be, and it's just a lot of, like, boobs and blood. <laughs> And and that is its own aesthetic. I, I was... So, I, I in a lot of the reviews that I was reading and, like, commentaries about this film, people described it as, like, a product, not necessarily of these either of these franchises, but of the 2000, early 2000s. They were like, that is what this movie is. It is a early 2000s horror movie before it is a... Uh, Jason or a Freddy horror film. That is the most accurate statement I've probably ever heard. And I like 2000 horror films. And I also think that right now in 2021, part of our struggle is, is people like those types of films, but filmmakers are also realizing horror can be more and and film and audiences are too. And so they're trying to shove them together. They're like, you can have both boobs and blood and this deep message. And I'm like, I I don't know if you can. So, Mm -hmm. but I, I would love to know what other people's thoughts are about the, Freddy versus Jason. How would yes. they tell us their Please. thoughts? So you can connect with us on all of our social medias, which are linked in the description of this podcast. You can also shoot us an email where you can suggest future episodes or let us know any commentary that maybe you don't want to share to the entire social network, but you do, you just want to let us know. And please, if you where you listen to your podcast, Go and give us a rating there. It really helps us out and boost us and 
gets us there if you just let everybody know that you're listening and you enjoy it. And we do hope you will join us for our next episode where we are returning as we do every so often to our fiction and looking at a novel. And we are looking at another book by Grady Hendrix because it's kind of hard not to look at his books. And this is the 2021 The Final Girl Support Group. So please read that book. Please join us for that conversation. And thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And have a spooktacular day.